0: Being Reasonable, now heard on WHUP LP Hillsborough, WCOM Carborough, and WPVM Asheville. Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsborough, North Carolina. Please fasten your seatbelts. I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs and we can do so by being reasonable.
1: One, two.
0: On this week's show, we speak with Ryan Spurrier, ordained campus minister at UNC Wesley Campus Ministry. Ryan discusses his belief that God is fundamentally about the flourishing of all creation. So let's speak with Ryan Spurrier, ordained campus minister at UNC Wesley Campus Ministry. Is there an overarching belief that you use to help yourself or help the kids that are coming into a university setting?
1: No, I think I think there is. And I think the, uh, the language we use it at UNC Wesley is a fundamental belief is that God is fundamentally about the flourishing of all creation. And that's kind of new language for us, but it, it, it draws off, and, and by no means original language for us, that language of flourishing is so popular right now, both in the church and beyond. But I think it comes out of my time at Duke Divinity School, whereas, you know, I, I went to Duke coming out of a very influential time in my own campus ministry at Clemson University, the Clemson Wesley Foundation. Clemson's set on an old plantation, you know, it's it's John C. Calhoun's old plantation. And, you know, like anywhere in the South, there's still so many forces pushing us to segregation and pushing us to be apart. And I had a campus minister who saw part of his calling is to invite us into a different way of living and a different pattern of relationship. And I had a chance through the relationship with my college roommate, um, who's African-American. And, and as we began to... Know each other as we began to love each other, as we began to to learn. We there were parts of each other's faith tradition that we needed to know and that it made life fuller and it made life richer to be in relationship. And then we began to try to share that among our friends and among our respective campus ministries. And and I had a campus minister who was teaching us that whole time the truth of scripture, that that Christ has torn down the dividing walls, you know, that Christ invites us and God invites us into a different pattern of life. Um And that's kind of where I left Clemson was this idea that, you know, this is what God has done, and so now what are we going to do? Um, God has invited us into relationship. God has torn down the dividing walls. Anything in our society that says we should be apart is fundamentally a lie. And what I took away from seminary at Duke was a deeper understanding of what God is currently doing. That it's not that Jesus did that once, and now it's left on us, but this is what God is continuing to do and life becomes rich, life becomes full when we get on board with what God is doing, which we sum up with being about the flourishing of all human life and all creation beyond human life.
0: So to restate, and correct me if I'm wrong, an overarching belief you have is that God causes human flourishing and that Jesus causes a uniting of people as opposed to dividing people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd I'd say that's a fair restatement.
0: On a scale from one to seven, how confident are you that this belief is true? Yeah, I've never tried to
1: put it on a numerical scale before. Um, And, you know, I guess part of me resists that. I don't know why. I have a math degree, so I should be comfortable with numbers, but...
0: Well, you don't have to put a number on it, but are you very confident? Are you not so confident? Mm -hmm. A general?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, I mean, I'd probably say a seven to put it on the scale in that, you know, this is the foundational belief that I've staked my life on. Um You know, one of the other key moments, key teachings in seminary was when we were talking about the creedal statements that we often say in church, you know, I believe in God. And the professor that day pointed out that when we say we believe in, it's not just saying we believe that God exists or we believe that Jesus said this, or we believe, you know, that what Jesus said is true, it's we believe it enough to let that be the dominant narrative of our lives. And so, thinking belief in that way absolutely would rate it a seven, because that's kind of what I've staked my life on, what I've staked my ministry on. It's the foundation of who I'm trying to be as a person and who I'm trying to shepherd our ministry to become.
0: And a follow-up question to that, on a scale from one to seven, if you wish to use a scale, how important is it for you to believe in things that are true and real. The Wesleyan
1: tradition at its best always balances the intellectual ascent of faith to the embodied practice of faith. So for me, it's kind of hard to pull apart in my mind, how is it important for me to kind of know something's true versus what is the lived experience when I live like it's true? And so, you know, the story of my life is when we're at Clemson, when I'm learning this for the first time, it's also being invited into the practice of it at the same time. And life became rich, life became full in a way I'd never experienced before. And so, you know, there's an intellectual side of that. There's kind of a processing side of that. There's, there's that side that's tracking along, but there's that embodied side of it that I can't pull apart. And so, you know, I still get restless when I'm not living in communities that reflect the fullness of the kingdom of God. What I want for my students is I want them to be restless when they're not in communities that reflect the full diversity of God's creation. You know, knowing it viscerally
0: is more important to me than knowing it intellectually. Are you saying that it's more important for you to have a personal truth than to believe something that is objectively true and real? I don't believe so.
1: I guess I'm saying I'm not—I don't know how— to simply by reason alone state that something is objectively true.
0: Maybe if you gave me an example, a good example of what you mean. So I guess, you know,
1: to go back to kind of this foundational truth that we have, that God is about the flourishing of all creation. You know, I can read scripture
0: and it can tell me that. So maybe Um, we could take that statement. Could we say that is an objectively true statement, whether you exist, whether I exist, or is that something that is objectively true for you?
1: I mean, I personally believe that's an objectively true statement, yes. Okay. When I believe it enough to let that be the guiding principle of my life, and I feel life become rich and full— when it's vivified in personal experience, to use some of the kind of Wesleyan language.
0: So you're saying that it's objectively true, but the important thing for you, that there is the subjective experience, the personal experience, that it is true. Mm -hmm. How do we know that it is true?
1: You know, I mean, to be honest, that's a question I sit with a lot as a pastor, right? You know, we're dealing with big questions. We stand up every week. Reporting what is true, right? We we proclaim a truth that the world does not yet understand. Would be our language, at least not fully. There's a great book called Freedom for Ministry, and I'm gonna completely blank on the author's name. Newhouse is the last name, and you know he names the awkwardness of being a pastor. That you know everything we do is based on a historical event we cannot prove. You know, how do we prove that Jesus was the Son of God and rose from the dead? We can't prove it. And we also hang it all on a future that we can't prove is going to happen, that Jesus is going to come back. And part of Newhouse's kind of word of encouragement to pastors is, you know, don't fight the battles you can't fight. Don't try to prove the things you can't prove. Um, And so that is something that I sit with every day. You know, how do you prove this if you can't? And I realize this is not directly answering your question, but may circle back around. But, you know, I see my role as a pastor as inviting people into spaces where they're receptive to, where they experience the presence of God.
0: I would imagine you must think about it internally, like, why do I believe this? I'm just trying to know how you know what you know. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, in the United Methodist tradition, uh, Scripture is foundational to belief. But the way we interpret scripture is always through the lens of experience, our own experience of God in our lives, as well as other experiences of life through the tradition of the church and through our own reason, you know, believing that God gave us brains to think, and we don't check them at the door when we read scripture.
0: So personal experience and scripture. Mm -hmm.
1: and the tradition of the church. In the tradition of the church. And just the reason. All of that together, it became true. And so that that asking about like when did it become true? When did it become real? When did this become a story that I could could base my life on? It's when I began to read more deeply into Scripture, and I saw a meta narrative. You know uh, that Scripture is no longer individual stories, but it's the overall story of God's love and desire for creation to flourish. When I saw in there the scriptural passages about God breaking down dividing walls, God bringing those things that are disparate together when I let that, when I took that first step of saying, well, what if I actually live into that? And then all of a sudden my life was filled with love, joy, and peace like I'd never known before. That combination is what made it a foundational narrative for my life.
0: Could you have a personal experience that would say to you, maybe this isn't true or I'm not confident in this belief and you'd go from a 7 to, say, a 6.5. I mean, is there anything that could happen to you that would change your belief, or are you fairly set in this belief?
1: I, mean, I would say yes, I mean, to all parts of that. Um, absolutely, there are moments. You know, a year ago, as we were watching the, the protests around Silent Sam, you know, watching those protests unfurl, when racism and white supremacy have gone on too flung I mean, like, is this vision of the church as the agent of God's reign on this world and bringing people together, you know, is it enough? Is it too slow? You know, I still believe it's true. I still believe it's the only way forward,
0: but it's just those moments where it feels too slow. So it felt slow in that case, but it still felt true. Is there anything that could happen to you where it wouldn't appear true?
1: Well, I mean, I would, uh, I mean, it was not a, you know, but it's still true. That was not an instantaneous thing. There was, there was deep wrestling there.
0: If it wasn't true in this situation, when you were wrestling with what was happening, is there something that could have happened that you would have arrived at a different conclusion that this is not true and real? Because it seems like you were debating whether it was.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if something could have. I
0: don't,
1: know. I don't. I really don't know how to answer that question, you know, to tell you for sure whether it could have happened or not. I just know, you know, it didn't. Yeah, I don't even know how I would think about answering the question of, is there something that could, you know, to play those hypotheticals.
0: And the reason why I ask that question is, is it useful to have a belief, any belief, that can't be shown to be false?
1: The way I operate in the world, the way I travel through the world, that's not the biggest concern for me. You know, the way I walk in the world is just a little softer, a little more gentle, a little more, um, let's go on the journey together and see mm-hmm. what happens. Let's go on the journey together and see what God opens up. Let's go on the journey together and see what we discover along the way. And that's more important to me than you know, that being able to say, I have a belief that I know will never be false.
0: Um, Right, my question does rest on the premise, I think, that it is important for the person to think what is objectively true is very important and more important than what is subjectively true. Would you agree with that statement?
1: You know, I don't, I don't think I would, and I would just think, I don't just say, I don't think I, I think in those categories necessarily, or, or possibly maybe I'm not fully sure of the way you define those categories. That might be a fair way um, to, to respond because I mean, those, those just aren't the categories that I think in on a day in, day out basis.
0: I'm really trying to see things how you see them. Right. It is my failure and I apologize. Maybe if I did a thought experiment, maybe that would help. Okay, sure. Okay. I've never used this thought experiment before, so I'm not sure how it's going to go. Yeah. What if I told you that I am a God, that I am a literal God, if I told you that? What questions would you have for me?
1: Hmm. This is not something I've experienced before. Neither have I. I just, uh, this is
0: something i am just huh. Yeah, so let's have fun
1: with it. Um, I guess my first question would be, when you call yourself a God, what do you mean by God?
0: Well, I'm a God in the sense that there is one God and I am that God. And if there's many gods, then I am all those gods too. I am, however you slice it and dice it, I am master of the universe. I am God. Would you have any questions for me about that? Or would you accept that?
1: Oh, I have questions. I don't know, you know where I'd start. I don't know where you formulate
0: that. Would you take it on face value or? No. Would Okay. No. I mean... Okay. No,
1: I mean, I think that's, yeah, I I don't, right off the top of my head, I don't know which tack I would take.
0: I'm going to presume that you think, Mark's probably not a god. How would you go about figuring that out for me?
1: And I guess, you know, even that, even that language of a god. um, Or the god. Or the god, you
0: know, I mean, it's just. How would you go about disproving my claim? Because I'm making a pretty big claim about the universe.
1: You are making a pretty big claim about the universe and about yourself. A claim yourself that's probably not going to sit
0: well with people listening to me talking now. I'm probably going to get email from this. Yeah. But I'm making a big claim about the universe, and so I would think that there'd be some questions you'd have for me. Yeah. I mean, tell me more about that. I can do anything. I can read people's thoughts. I uh, hear people's prayers. I know what's happening in the future. I know what's happening in the past. Whatever God does, that's what I do.
1: You know, if I want to be snarky, I'd say, no, what am I thinking right now? You know, and I think that could be the, the first impulse to to test that. Um, but
0: I guess I'm not not quite sure where, where this thought experiment's going. Well, I'm making a claim that I'm a God, mm-hmm. and I would want to know how you would know that I'm not a God. And this is not a trick I'm employing. This is whatever question you have for me would be a question I would imagine would have for anybody or anything claiming to be a God. And I'm wondering why that is why it's difficult to come up with a question. And we can move on if you wish. I don't. I really don't mean to... Um, no, no. This, I mean, this is not... Meant to be truly not meant to be a hot seat kind of show. This isn't meant to be no, I'm not, I'm not yeah. taking it that way okay. at all. I'm okay. just, good, good, you know, good, good, good.
1: just going good. down you know several different parts of the Christian tradition. You know, again, taking advantage of this being a show that gets to be edited and not a podcast, yeah, 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 yeah. To yeah. take time there. But you know, again, I mean, it's, it's that fundamental. I, I feel like the crux is again that fundamental space of there seems to be a preconceived notion. Of what a God or the God, to use your language,
0: is. If I say that I am a God, and that people who say that I am not a God often come up with preconceived notions of what a God is, yet I'm still a God. How does that resonate?
1: Well, I mean, I think that's probably the way in my face, isn't it? I think that'd be the way God often feels, right? I
0: mean, even within the
1: Christian tradition, the way different churches describe God, they're not. They're very often in conflict and contrast with each other.
0: When different people describe me, I think that different people describe me differently relating to what faith traditions they come from. Mm-hmm. But I'm still a God. Uh, what do you do all day? It's a good question. What does God do all day? Okay, what's another question?
1: I mean, that's... that's
0: what do you do all that's day? That's a great question. The chicken has a question too. Yeah.
1: Uh, the reason I sit with that question is, from kind of the practical side of ministry that I do, I'm not sure how much of a difference there is between the nature
0: of God and the
1: person of God.
0: What if I asked you the question, what does God do all day?
1: It's back where we, we started. I mean, God works for the flourishing of all creation. I mean, the, the nature of God is love.
0: If I told you that that's what I do, I work towards the flourishing of all humans and people. Mm-hmm. So, I'm yeah. still a God.
1: I mean, I, I would, I'd believe you're participating in the work of God. I'd say that you're working under the influence of God.
0: No, I am a God. I know you say that, you know. Well, uh, how am I not? What questions would you have for me to distinguish whether I am this all-powerful being or not? Is there a test we could employ? Is there something we could do? And I appreciate you hanging in with us. Yeah, I'm hanging in with it. And again, (laughs) you know, it's... This is uh, not easy. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't think of a question.
1: Right. I can't either. And, 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 and I'm okay with that, right? Because I just feel like that flips our roles if it's our job.
0: But I guess my bigger question then is at that point, is if I believe I'm a God and there is no question that could show me otherwise, and I'll believe it no matter what, is that a useful belief to have?
1: You know, I think, you know, my my question there is, is that a harmful belief? And I think so much harm often comes when we when we mistake what is our role in creation and we get tripped up about what is our role. You know, if, if you're holding that belief humbly and really working for the flourishing of everyone else, I mean, it seems like I don't know. I mean, I know there are a lot of people who will just don't even want to entertain that premise and are going to balk at it and
0: understand what premise?
1: I mean, just that question of, you know, you asked, is that a useful belief? And, and my first thought goes as to, is that a harmful belief? And I think, you know, in broad strokes, generally, you know, um, losing track of our right role within creation is harmful. But my, I would argue our right role within creation is to be stewards of it, to care for it, to love it. And so if right now that's kind of your belief that's driving you to to care for others, you know, that that question of to what extent is that harmful is hard for me to wrap my mind around in a thought experiment. Now, in terms of, you know, is that true? I feel like I'm back. I'm starting to feel like a broken record a little bit. We're back to the place of that being a little above my pay grade. And, you know, as you walk through life like that, if it's not true, that's God's to
0: prove. Whether you know whether I am a true God is that above your pay grade? Knowing that information about one God is above your pay grade, but knowing it about me saying that I am a God, is that above your pay grade? And again, I appreciate the thoughtfulness of this. I yeah, I mean it, and I'm getting I'm asking really difficult questions, right? I
1: mean, it chafes <laughs> against all Trinitarian theology, right? It's um, what it chafes against all Trinitarian theology, which is kind of premised on God becoming incarnate in Jesus once, and that not happening again, right? So it, it pushes against that, but at the same point, putting ourselves in the premise of being the arbiters of what. You know, of, of holding on too tightly to being the arbiters of what is and is not of God, I think is also fraught with spiritual peril
0: as well. So So you're saying that I am a God and it is not your place to say that I'm not a god.
1: I guess I'm saying that's just not the I guess that's not the tack of conversation I take with you.
0: What would what tact could um, we go about? Because if I'm not a god I think I'd want to know it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm just just curious. You know, I don't know. I know very little about psychology and, and these fields. I'm just curious. Like, what would make you think you're a god?
0: Does thinking about whether a god thinks that that god is a god make a difference whether that god is a god?
1: Well, I mean, it doesn't make it true. Right. Right? I mean, and so I guess I, I'm just curious is why does my interaction with you have to be predicated on whether or not I'm trying to disprove that to you or prove that to you at
0: that point. So then are you accepting that I am a God or are you accepting that I believe I'm a God? Are you accepting that it doesn't matter
1: that I, I believe accept- I'm a
0: God or does it d- accepting that that's just not relevant to the conversation? I'm trying to understand your question.
1: Right. I mean, I think um, I mean, I'm not accepting that you're a God. I am accepting that you're telling me that you're a god
0: why aren't you accepting it you know it you're not accepting that i'm a god and i keep on telling you that i am
1: i mean it strikes (laughs) against my the the system of my belief and so far there's not been anything to change that system of belief and so why would you walking up and just telling that to me shift my system of belief that in and of itself?
0: And what system are we talking about?
1: So you know, my belief about God, what you're currently telling me, does not fit within my existing belief about who God is and how God is present in the world.
0: How are you choosing your system over the system of I'm telling you that I am God. How are you choosing one God over another God? hmm
1: You know, I'm thinking back to something they taught us in chaplaincy training. I did a, a semester of clinical pastoral education, a chaplaincy internship. And one of the rules there was, you know, as you walk into these these spaces that are, people are going to come from many different belief systems is don't take something away from someone unless you can give them something in return. And, you know, pastoring is very different than chaplaincy. You know, it's that notion. And and maybe this is not the best philosophical reflection, but it would be very costly for me to give up that belief system and everything that's meant in my life. And you're, there's nothing in return. And so why would I turn away from something that has brought love, joy, peace in my life that I've seen create flourishing of human good? Why would I turn away from that? simply because of what you walk up and say. And so, I mean, that's pushing us back into that subjective realm, but...
0: No, I I get that. I get that. Let's say there's two, in the abstract, two entities proclaiming that they're a God. One entity is the God that you've been talking about this whole time, and the other entity is Mark Solomon standing right here telling you that I'm a God. I am offering you nothing in terms of the positive impact that it's had on your life. And I see how the God you have been discussing has had a positive impact on your life and likely your entire life. Mm -hmm. I see that. When I think about discussing me as a God and a different God, I see that as a difference.
1: I mean, I think that that's true in in this moment and in this instance and in this thought experiment. Um, I think that does get back to, I mean, even the way you couch that rings true with that fundamental belief that that's what God is. God is in the Christian tradition, you know, God is love. God is that which is infusing this world and wooing it back to and inviting it into love. And that is where that positive in my life has come from. And that's the framework of that system. And so absolutely, I think you're right in classifying it. When you're asking me to step away from that to something that has not done that, why would I? Why could I? How could I?
0: But then I come back to if I say that I am God and then I am love and then I offer love to everyone, where are we then? And are you saying it? As or a God, yeah. I am offering down. love to everyone.
1: Okay. But and are you? I mean stepping out of the, the, the thought experiment. No, you no, person, as God person,
0: I'm saying you. yes, I am. I'm mm-hmm. I offer love to everyone.
1: Yeah, I'm back in my uh middle school youth room, the trailer that they purchased to be our youth room and our new youth minister, kinda I guess preparing us before it was even on our radar to be in a more pluralistic world. And this kind of notion that you know there are going to be other belief systems that that seek out to you. There are going to be other belief systems that try to pull you this way or that way. And you don't need to live your Christian life keeping all of that at arm's distance. And I remember his exact phrase is, God's not scared. And so, I mean, that's just what's coming to mind here. I mean, you're you're telling me all these things. I'm not scared to stay in relationship with you. Um, I think, you know, all those things that you're telling me within my belief system— If that's where you are, that would mean God is, in my belief system, that's saying that God is somehow at work in you. I'm not to the point of saying you are God, right? I think you are a certain manifestation of God's love in the world at that point, but I'm not scared of that. I'm not scared to.
0: But what are you using to decide that I am not God? How are you deciding that? You must be using some information to. Realize that I am not a God. And spoil alert, I'm not. Right. We continue our conversation with ordained campus minister Ryan Spurrier right after this short break. You are listening to Being Reasonable on WHUP. If you have a belief that you wish to discuss, please connect with us through beingreasonableshow.com. You must be using some information to realize that I am not a god. And, spoiler alert, I'm not. Right. There's something you must know about me to know that I am not a god. I don't know what evidence you're relying on, but... There must be something, (laughs) right? Yeah, and I mean... I think the problem is, is that whatever that thing is that makes it clear to you that I am not a god, we then need to use that line of reasoning for anybody who claims any god. Not just your god, but any god. I think that's maybe where we find ourselves, and I'm not sure... Because this is the first time I've used this thought experiment.
1: Yeah. And I guess there's something inside of me that always wants to pull back from trying to boil faith down to what can be rationally proven. I'm not convinced it operates fully in that sphere. You know, I mean...
0: When people tell me that I am not a god, it's because they are not thinking in a way that could discover me. They're thinking in a way that tries to use more rationality, more logic, but not in a way that would know me.
1: I see what you're asking. And, um, you know, it's, um, as I mentioned a couple times, these aren't really questions I entertain on a daily basis. And I'm not I'm not sure we agree on a basic fundamental premise of, of truth. I know you're, you're asking the questions to push the conversations, but I'm not sure the way I think about truth and what your questions presume are the same. And I think that's been a fascinating part of the conversation yeah. today is really wrestling with, should faith, at least this is what I'm taking away, is a deeper kind of dive of something I've, I've long kind of wrestled with, but now being presented with new questions, should faith operate by the same set of rules of other types of truth in our lives.
0: And when I think of truth, I think of there is a number of chickens out in the yard right now. And there is either an even or odd number of chickens. I don't know what the answer is, but there is an answer there. Yeah. And the answer is irrelevant to what I believe and it's huh. irrelevant to what you believe. Right? There is an answer. And when I think of truth, I think that there is an objective, universal truth, that there is an answer to that question that has no bearing on what I believe. And I'm wondering if that brings God
1: too fully into the sphere of the created world instead of being beyond creation. If that's trying to fit God into that which we can rationalize instead of giving God freedom to be beyond.
0: Beyond what?
1: Beyond reason.
0: So say it again. I'm just trying to understand what you're saying. I'm
1: just curious if that that notion, that definition of truth, when Go we right try ahead. to apply it to God, yeah. inherently limits God to a scope that we can understand, and inherently brings God into creation, instead of God being creator beyond creation.
0: So, then truth, the way you're describing it, there could be an even number of chickens, or there could be an odd number of chickens. People could believe different things, and they both be right.
1: No, I don't believe that's what I'm saying. I believe I'm saying that there is that kind of truth that operates when we're counting chickens, but when we try to assess God through that kind of truth,
0: what's the other? It's a fundamentally kind
1: of flawed procedure because God is
0: beyond creation. What's the so? What's the other kind of truth that we can know this?
1: I don't know. And I don't know if I have a clean or tidy word for it, but that is the space where. To use the scriptural language, uh, faith is a gift from God. That is God breaking in from beyond reason.
0: How do we know that is happening? And I think there's a, a
1: space where, you know, knowing it by the way we count chickens. I don't. I'm not sure we ever do. And I think at, at a certain point, if we want to be people of faith and where I believe God's inviting us is to get out of our own way a little bit to quit trying to think ourselves to faith and let faith claim us instead of us claiming faith.
0: And I'm just trying to understand that if we are talking about a universal truth, it would appear to me that that truth would be true, would be correct by definition. And it wouldn't matter what we believe, that there is a truth. Mm -hmm. And how is that truth different than whether there is an even or odd number of chickens. It's a different truth in the sense that it's a different fact. And I'm trying to understand how your truth is different. Right.
1: And, and I would agree with the premise that it is the universal truth. I would just say that when we are thinking about God, we can't reason our way all the way there. Then what are
0: we using?
1: Because otherwise, you know, and, and the flaw with that is because then we're we're bringing God down to the scope of what we can, you know, hold in our human minds. And we're, we're limiting God within the bounds of creation instead of letting God be beyond creation. But that question, then, what are we using? I mean, if you're going to ascribe to the Christian faith, there's a moment where there's that moment that comes— that it is assenting to something bigger than you can fully wrap your mind around. And, you know, for me, you know, as someone who always did well in school, you know, who who was very good with my mind, there were those moments that came through that, that just kind of took hold of me and just said, hey, this isn't something I can do. It's just simply something that's broken into my life from beyond creation back into creation. And, you know, this feels true, that combination of scripture reason. And that's and that's enough for me, um, because if it truly is, I mean, this is where the reason stops. If it truly is something worth giving my life to that is universal, that is beyond this creation, those tenets of it, then it's not something I'm going to be able to reason to. So I could spend my life trying to reason to something that's beyond reason, or I could approach it, in, in my language, something a little more gently, a little more humbly, Hold on to those moments where it claimed me. Give my life to that story in that way of being in the world, which is every day, in some ways, just a little bit of a test of taking the first step and seeing, does God show up? And then as that happens, being drawn deeper and deeper. And in that whole process, to me, that's, that's where faith becomes true. And for me, that's
0: enough. Last question. If, and I'm not saying this is the case, if this belief wasn't true? Would your life change? Would you be a different person? Would you be the same person? Would you do what you do? Would you do a different thing? Would you um, do a different role in your life? Would you be a different human?
1: Again, I'm not, (laughs) it's kind of the crux of all these questions, right? It's like, I can't separate, you know, to say this belief is not true. I can't separate intellectual ascent from embodied kind of character formation, you know? And so in that sense, if if it could be shown that this is not intellectually true, I think all of the formation of how I would go about living in the life and being present in the world, it's so deeply formed. I don't think that's going away.
0: When I hear that, it sounds like someone who would be unable to entertain that this couldn't be true.
1: And uh, I don't know if I'd I'd say unable to entertain. It's just for me.
0: What if I told you mm -hmm. that I would be perfectly willing to change my beliefs? I'd be willing to believe what you believe in a way you believe it. I'd be willing to change that. If there were commensurate evidence for me to undergo that change. Mm -hmm. If that evidence were to come along, I would be happy to change my mind.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Would you be happy to change your mind?
1: (sighs) My first thought is, we always are.
0: Okay. You know? We're definitely becoming different people over time.
1: I think we always are. And I I think that's, that's built into... And I mean, this is a, would be an interesting pushback and an interesting deeper dive, but that's kind of within the belief system. So is that even changing the belief system is that, you you know, believing in a part of the belief system is believing in a God who's larger and bigger than we can ever understand. So there's always more that we're learning and growing and shaping. And, And obviously you look at the history of the church, they used to think certain things about God and realized, oh, we were, we were very wrong about things. So... That's, that's baked into that system to a certain extent.
0: So you're saying baked into the system, your belief system, is a manner to discover truth. I
1: think you could, you could say it that way, right? I mean, there was a time that, and there are still parts of the church believe this, but there were times in the United Methodist Church that we didn't believe women could preach. You know, there were times that, you know, and on
0: down the line. And, and what is the system that does that? What is the system? that discovers truth.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know to what extent it's systematized. To use the church's language, we believe the Holy Spirit is continuing to be at work to show us the character and nature of God, and we don't have it figured out yet. But as we continue to to use our language to experience the presence of God in our lives, there are parts of our beliefs that we let go of and just say, hey, we were wrong, and there are new things that we take on. So that is fundamental to my understanding of Christianity. So... Um, To ask a question, you know, would I, could there be evidence that would make me give up the whole bit? I'd say, well, there's already a pattern where there are things that I used to think were core tenets of Christianity that I'm like, you know, I was wrong on that. So that is kind of part of this um, faith-seeking understanding, faith-seeking deeper faith kind of posture of life that I seek to live.
0: I don't see this as a show about religion. Mm -hmm. I see this as a show about beliefs. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I do the show, or at least the reason why I tell myself why I do this show, is that we live in a time where we have wildly different beliefs. Different populations are relying on different sets of information, and they are forming wildly different beliefs. And it appears to me that this is getting us into trouble in our present moment.
1: And yeah, what, what kind of trouble?
0: For example, we seem to find ourselves in the midst of a pandemic, and we hopefully will come up with a vaccine Mm -hmm. for the pandemic. If half the country believes that the vaccine is dangerous and they won't take it, and they have this fundamental belief that vaccines are terrible for you, and the other half of the country believes vaccines are very important and we have to take it so we don't die and vaccines are safe and effective, These are wildly different beliefs. My thought is, is that there, with this specific belief, as in maybe many beliefs, that there is an answer there. That same thing with even or odd chickens, that this belief can be, it may not be 100%, but it's probably going to be way more to one side or to the other. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we believe wildly separate things, that this is the thing that's getting us into trouble.
1: Yeah, I agree. And that's where I think, I mean, so much of our conversation has been about religion. And frankly, to be honest, I think one of the places religion gets itself in trouble is when it tries to do science or tries to do that work or bring its belief system to bear on things that are better solved by science that are kind of telling us how the world works. To me, that operates by a very different kind of what we've been talking—that scientific. That's clear. There's one answer, and you know, I think that's a space where we, where we trip ourselves up um, in the church is when we either we try to do science or vice or try to comment on scientific uh issues. But I think and vice versa, we we trip ourselves up about religion when we try to make it operate by that same scientific level of truth.
0: But aren't science or religion or spirituality or any belief, isn't that making some claim about the universe? And if we are making some claim about the universe, can't we then say there is a truth value to that claim?
1: I mean, where where I segment it personally is that science tells us how the world works, and religion speaks to the questions of meaning. And I'm comfortable with that dichotomy,
0: My understanding of science, it is a way of knowing. It is a way to understand how the universe works while rooting out biases. What I feel about something, what someone else might feel about something, my my belief about something. It's a way to understand things about the universe without my beliefs, hopefully, impacting the outcome of what I'm trying to find out. And it's falsifiable in the sense that if I'm wrong, there's a way to find out that I'm wrong, either by what I'm doing or the people who come behind me doing more studies, they could falsify it. They could figure out what I've done wrong. And then there's a replication aspect of it, that if I'm what I'm saying is something true about the universe, that it can be done over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then that is a way to find out that what I'm saying is something that is objectively true. I'm trying to understand how that is separate from religion.
1: Right. And, you know, I guess one answer to that would be, you know, counting the chickens in your yard, you have several different breeds of chickens. And, you know, taking Mm -hmm. out your biases, you're going to count the total. If there are six, there are six. And you don't say, I like this breed Mm -hmm. less. They don't count, right? That's right. We could have a
0: computer count it. We we could have a computer count my chickens, and they could come up with an answer.
1: And it takes out that bias about which breeder. I would say religion then would— would speak to the deeper question of what is your role in creation and how do you treat those chickens as other parts
0: of creation? Why can't science ask those questions as well?
1: I mean, they could. Okay. And, you know, they do. I think, uh, you know, my response is going to be based from a religious perspective is going to be based on an underlying faith claim about God's desire for the universe— to flourish, whereas I don't know what questions science would bring, maybe about where they fit into a food chain and an ecosystem and maintaining balance and all those sorts of things. So I think there is overlap. And I mean, I was taught, um, and the way I approach theology is that scientists are our friends. You know, they, they teach us about the way the world normally operates. They teach us a lot of valuable information about how to be about what my faith tells me is my fundamental obligation in life is to be about flourishing of all creation. So there's a lot of valuable information there. The the other part I might add is, you know, this, this expectation of expecting religion to operate according to rules of science. Um, the way I've been taught is that that's a very new experience. You know, this debate over... You know, is Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, these accounts of creation, are those true is the language that's often used. That's a very new question, and I was cautioned against reading Scripture and thinking that, oh, we know more than they knew then, um, and bringing that kind of feeling like we're better than those who wrote down those texts, but also... this is where I was beginning to speak a little bit about that class with the the Jewish rabbi. What was so influential there was learning about the culture that wrote down Christian Scripture and learning that that was before the scientific era came and before scientific truth. In our society, for something to be true, it is factual. That's the dominant default narrative definition of truth. But for uh, the culture that wrote down Scripture— Truth was communicated in symbol as much as it was in fact. And so, you know, the 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 quote that stands out in my mind is, you know, what would the ancient rabbis who wrote down Genesis 1, 2, and 3 think of our debates today over whether or not they're true read factual? And the response was they'd probably laugh at us and say it was never intended to be factual, but it was intended to communicate a deep truth about the universe, about our place in it, about the God who made it and the God who loves it. And so that's, so is that part of that formation, which makes me very comfortable operating in this frame of, in terms of how the world is working on a daily basis, absolutely look to science, let it answer those questions. But in terms of the narrative that's going to give meaning and purpose to my life, that's beyond that. That's just asking different questions. and, And I do my best not to conflate the two.
0: So we can have universal truths that are not necessarily factual. If you say scientific facts. What's the difference between a fact and a scientific fact?
1: I'm not sure. I I want to know what the difference is for you and for me. And for me, I just say there, it's not, we're not going to use the rules of science to get ourselves to prove that. It's just, it's operating outside of that level because it is fundamentally beyond the created world that we see around us.
0: From the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon, and you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. See you next week.
1: phone.